okay, I feel like I'm decently smart, right? Okay, I feel like I'm, like you would say I'm like a pretty smart person. No. Hey there, I'm Jordan. And I'm Nick. We're just two regular guys who love talking about film. And now we'd like to talk to you. We decided to break down our discussions into three parts. Because everyone loves a gimmick. We discuss our expectations for a film before we watch it. That's take one. We give our immediate thoughts following the film. That's take two. And finally, we research the film at length to prepare for an informed and in-depth discussion. And that's take three. So if you love film even half as much as we do, join in on the conversation. This is Take Three, a movie podcast. Take one. So I think this is the first time I've talked about this on the podcast, but I recently started Ubering as a side hustle. It's been going really well, actually. Yesterday or the day before, I hit my 100th ride. Hey. Um, Everybody's been really nice. Well, (laughs) today... Okay, I told this to, like, everybody else that I drove tonight. Like, I have literally have told this story several times. So I was taking a son and his dad from a grocery store to what they said was their boat. And it was a three-minute trip. So they got in, they piled in all the groceries and everything, and we drive there, and they're both... Nice, just regular, easygoing guys. But as we get closer to the destination, I'm realizing that this location is like a, in a boat yard that looks like it's just full of like broken down boats that are maybe being worked on or maybe for storage or something like that. And we're like driving sort of further into the woods. First off, it's on gravel. Was this gravel on the Uber map, though? Like, it was telling you to go on the gravel? I'll back up. We got to the location, and he was like, hey, do you mind, like, going a little bit further? And I was like, I'll take you wherever you want to go. Like, I'm, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not like a stickler. Like, oh, I'm going to drop you off where it says it is. Like, I don't care. Oh, no. (laughs) So I keep going, and we're passing, like, all these broken down ships. We go over this wooden bridge. My vehicle goes over this tiny wooden bridge this one-way wooden bridge no there's like all these like decrepit boats and we're going through these trees and and winding around and i'm like man if they were going to like bring me back here and being like hey we're gonna kill you i was preparing for it like i was straight up preparing for death what a perfect start to our scary season this is. I didn't realize that this was the direction that this was going. This is terrifying. You have no idea where this is going. This is terrifying. Oh, my God. So we get back there. I mean, it felt longer than it probably was. We get back there, and we pull up in this field. It's just a field of grass, and he's like, pull up right here. And as I pull up, I see this little inlet. The The field of grass leads into water and there's a dock. And on the dock are like seven yachts lined up. Holy shit. Big fucking boats. Like, I don't know if, if what you would consider a yacht. Like, big ass, rich ass people boats. Like, million dollar boats. Boats that clearly had like multiple indoor levels. Jesus. I was like, oh, is that, are we here? And he's like, yeah, that's ours. And I'm like, holy crap. And he's like, yeah, we got a little one. And I'm like, (laughs) I'm so confused because this is so sketchy. Like, I was like, this is a really creepy place. And now I'm going to help you guys carry your groceries onto your giant rich people yacht. It was just such a 180 when it came to my emotions. But yeah, there were just two Nice guys that were going to the grocery store to stock their... I I mean, it felt like a yacht to me. (laughs) And so my only guess is that like this was some sort of maybe private inlet place where they could kind of park and not draw as much attention to themselves. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Honestly, anytime we ride an Uber together, almost every time you're, you ask the driver like, oh, got any like horror stories or funny things that you could tell? So I feel like... By Ubering, you're probably going to rack up a lot of stories. And I think that's going to be, just be safe, please. That's all I ask. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say how on brand it was that we were telling a story that has nothing to do with what we're talking about. But honestly, it kind of does. 
Because our movie that we're going to talk about has boats. Hey! And creepy things. Yes. It's perfect. I'm so excited to talk about this movie. I've only seen it once, and I'm hoping that I won't, I'm not just like still in the honeymoon phase, but I cannot wait to watch it again. I've only seen it once, too, and I do think that I've brought up my experience first watching this movie on this podcast. I told the story that um, I was by myself in the theater. There was no one there. I went and saw it during the day because of COVID, and uh, it was like exponentially more scary because I'm like looking behind me and, you know... <laughs> Like in the shadows. Be, and yeah. Like this would be a really the negative good time. space. Exactly. <laughs> like a really good time for some crazy, like demonic evil shit to happen to me. Oh, that's so cool. Ugh. Obviously, we're talking about Nighthouse. You guys read the title of this episode. Is it called The Nighthouse or just Nighthouse? Oh, fuck. I don't know. But yeah, what I remember about it is being absolutely mortified. I also remember feeling like this utilized a lot of the jump scare techniques that are present in movies that you often malign, like the James Wan, like conjuring films and things like that. And I'm like, this movie has those things in it, too. <sighs> I I just pulled up my review for this movie and I rated it four and a half stars. <laughs> and a line in the review is proof we don't need to drown our horror in tropes to get our point across. So I feel like... Yes, <laughs> Jordan cannot help himself. I used to think it was just like he doesn't realize that he's doing it. Now he knows he's doing it and he's doing it anyway. <laughs> I just feel like... I don't enjoy, like, things are not scary to me when I can see and feel the scares coming. Like, it's so formulaic, and I just don't like that. And I don't know what's different. And I guess this comes with a second watching. I'll have to pay closer attention next time. But I just, I really remember leaving that theater thinking, wow, like, that felt fresh to me. It felt new. I would never argue that this movie wasn't fresh and new. I mean, it definitely has, like, a lot of really uh inventive elements to it i'm just saying this movie when it comes to scares didn't reinvent the wheel the story certainly is fresh i don't know that i've seen something like this especially kind of like how it ends up but there are jump scares in this movie and every time you see a horror movie that you like you're like man this is so much better than all those shitty horror movies <laughs> nick makes me watch <laughs> You can't help yourself. I think at this point, we've been doing this for how many years now? Four? Four. Yeah, we're in season four. And I feel like there are, it, there's been a lot of movies in between the James Wan period that I really don't like and now. Like there's, there's been a lot of new and exciting and fresh ways to create a horror movie. And I really appreciate that. I have seen a couple of James Wan's newer movies since then, and I can agree that I think he has also come a long way. That man has redefined the horror genre like three times in his career. I know, I know, I know. I don't know what my point is here, but I will say that like I really did enjoy this movie. I, I can't directly pin down what is different about the jump scares in this and the jump scares in the movies that I didn't like. Maybe you will in take two. Maybe, maybe. Um, or maybe we'll forget about it by the time <laughs> we get there. <laughs> or maybe I'll change my mind and I'll agree with you that, you know. Okay, there's there was me, like, at least trying. I just don't believe you. But okay, I mean, I, I, sure. will, I would love that. That would be great. Okay. Uh, but some things that I am excited about. The lead actress, uh, I just think that she grand slammed this one out of the park. I think she sold this movie 100%. And also, David Bruckner directed this and david bruckner has very quickly become one of my favorite horror directors you've seen i showed you the ritual correct oh yeah love the ritual it's so good it's mm -hmm. so good um he's done a couple others that i've not seen but he also is doing a new hellraiser and i think the trailer for that that came out today and Are i want to watch serious? it I'm or like at least maybe like a teaser and I haven't watched it yet. So after this, we really need to watch it. Wow. Awesome. I'm so excited. Yeah, me too. This is the first movie back that we've not had a guest for in a long time. I feel like a uh, first take three. Thank God those guys are gone. I don't think that's very nice to our guests. I had a great time. 
All this to say, we're getting back into the groove of things. It's spooky season. I'm so fucking excited. I'm going to decorate my apartment tomorrow, and we're just going to have a great time. I love it when you decorate your apartment. I do, too. It's been a whole year, if you can believe it. Since last Halloween? Yeah. I can believe it. (laughs) (laughs) This summer has been filled with like four straight months of 95 degree days, and that's just not fair. I'm doing something about that, and that is decorating for fall. So Fuck yes. Rebecca Hall's face acting is like... Yes! Unbelievable. So good. She just acts with her face so good. She's just got a really good face. I don't know. She just is really good at face acting. Talented. If I can remember correctly, she does like... I don't want to say crazy, but like crazy exhausted. She feels like she's going so out of her mind that she's just so fucking tired of it. And like she just wants people to believe her. And she did great with that. Yes. This movie puts her through the ringer. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I don't want to like spoil it and take one because I hope that everybody that hasn't watched it will watch it because it's really freaking good. Um, (laughs) But the ending of this movie how like the central storyline wraps up is so horrifying to me. I cannot tell you how horrific watching this alone was. I genuinely cannot remember the ending. I don't remember what happens in the end. Like I remember the Are basic you story. Hitting me? I'm serious and I'm like now I'm even more excited to watch it cuz now I don't remember what happened. Oh, it when it came out in like 2020, was it? It was a, it was like 2 years ago. Oh, I just I can't wait. It's the night house, by the way. Day two. If we sound different, it's because we're in the same room this time. If we sound different, it's because we are high. Neither heights. Neither of us are high right now. Drunk. I'm drunk on cinema. <laughs> Such a fucking loser. <laughs> uh, so we just finished night house. It was really fun, uplifting, happy go lucky. It was fun. Really experience. That's all. Yeah, good times, guys. Hey, three. <laughs> <laughs> This is only the second time I've seen this movie. I think I noticed a lot of things that I obviously didn't know because I didn't have the context. Yeah. Repeat again what you said when we were watching it about how, like, watching it again, knowing the ending. Yeah. So I even put this in my letterbox review that it was a bit slow, that I felt it was a bit slow the first time. And that might have been just because it felt like an eternity that I was in there by myself. Mm-hmm. But I know that rewatching it now and knowing how it ended, it didn't feel as slow. I knew that these things were important that we were getting to, even though they didn't necessarily seem important. And the actual scary scenes, while not quite as scary, just because like I've experienced them already once and I'm with another person, mm-hmm. they were still very scary. Uh, there were several times where I was shielding my eyes even though i knew exactly what was about to happen i had you bring that up because i think i feel the opposite i think watching this movie i was kind of like okay let's get to the fun parts like let's get to the punchline i already know like i've been through all of this like the first time i watched it i was kind of like oh this is mysterious i was trying to like come up with solutions on my own to try and figure out what was happening and this time i was like all right let's get to the juicy stuff i can see that also i want to bring up that in i feel like in the last take we talked about how i don't remember the ending and i think i can feel or we confused or miscommunicated the ending with the twist and i do remember the twist i like i I do remember the the overall story about why this was all happening to her i do want to clear that up i did remember that okay that makes sense i thought you meant like what happened after the twist which i didn't remember and this was you know a reminder for me as well but i think the point that it turned for me was when she was in the bathroom and she was getting ghost manhandled. <laughs> it was sort of a relieving break, I think, in all of this horrific stuff that was happening. And the music was super like light and uplifting. And you could see her really like enjoying and like trying to reconnect with Owen again. And it, it felt so good to see her like that. For and, like five seconds. But like, and then it twists. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, no, I'm not Owen. And even that is was just incredible. And it just goes off the rails from there. And like seeing those optical illusions again and the negative spaces, I was just like, my God, I'm so glad that we watched this again because this is masterpiece. I like, I really, truly love this movie. We can talk about the ending though, because I do watching this again, I think I do have a little bit of a problem with like the very last part of this. 
Because she puts the gun down in her lap and it almost makes it seem like the evil has been defeated. And to me, it was like, well, he died just for you to be like, no, thanks. Like Owen full on did all of this stuff, killed all of these women. Like it seemed so easy for her to just put the gun down and be like, no, thanks. Not today death kind of thing and i was like well what did he just do all of that for and i know that it's probably all like a metaphor for like her grief and like finally she's come to accept his death or something like that but i wish it was a little bit more grand than that i wish there was like a maybe a bigger finale but otherwise like i just think it, it was a perfect movie this reminded me of a problem i had at the end of the first viewing that I really hadn't thought much about because it's just so much of it is overwhelmingly good in my memory. Yeah. But it's like, what the fuck happens now? Yeah. Like, this thing is not, like, defeated. Like, it didn't just... I, I don't see it that it just went away. And if it did go away that easily, then I totally agree with what you're saying. Like, yeah. like it, it couldn't have just gone away that easily. Like, that's so stupid and if I, it did. Like, I think what that's now, why, then? like, this whole thing is about her dealing with, you know, her loss and dealing with that grief. And I, I want so badly to say that that's what this was, that that was her finally coming to accept it and, like, finish grieving over this guy but yeah again i really think but, there there should have been more explanation and maybe a bigger defeat her battle. accepting the death of her husband wouldn't have made this entity go away or taken the power away from this entity no, no, no. because this entity had power long before her husband was even going through anything right so, i just mean like in from a story perspective no no, no, no. From, I, I totally understand what you're saying i yeah. just like logistically if we're looking at like moving forward like what does the next week look like for her yeah yes she probably feels a lot better at least to some degree now that she's sort of faced and dealt with the loss of her husband but there is still a force that wants her mm-hmm. and i get okay well now i'm thinking about it okay this nothingness didn't seem like it wanted to grab a hold of Beth by her own accord. You know, it, it, this thing was whispering to Owen, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like maybe now that Owen's gone, the the nothing doesn't have like an avenue to get to Beth. But it's like, couldn't it just talk straight to Beth and drive her crazy? Like, I, I don't know if we're supposed to just think, okay, now that Owen's gone and she's accepted that, she's not necessarily like maybe not as traumatized over the whole situation that like he's going to stop haunting her. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that's a problem or if I'm not understanding it right. I would love to i feel like that's a lot of take take three stuff that you probably well, look into yeah or i don't know i just putting it off <laughs> until later to think about it because <laughs> i mean like i want to develop my own like opinion on this yeah but i, I need more time to think about it mm-hmm. because like truly i don't see a clear path forward for beth because this thing can talk directly to her and drive her crazy and make her want to kill herself just like he made owen want to kill himself yeah so why did he target owen to begin with that's interesting yeah that is a great question i mean I don't know. yeah like I don't want to pull too many threads at the ending, you know, yeah. because like it really did feel impactful when when I watched it the first time and this time. I mean, it was still a very scary, sort of beautiful, horrifying ending or, or reveal or twist that that part of it, not necessarily the end of the movie. But um, uh, again, I, the more I think about it, the more I'm like, I don't know how well this all came together. Yeah, but I want to just talk about positives <laughs> okay, Rebecca Hall is just absolutely stellar in this movie. Yeah. She's so good. The way that some people grieve is very interesting to watch. Some people are very like upsetting to watch grieve, right? And then some people are very interesting to watch grieve. And the way that she was grieving, the way it sort of made her more bold and blunt... Yeah. Everything was like saturated in sarcasm almost. Yeah. Yeah. She was not preoccupied with whether or not what she was saying was going to, you know, come off as rude or upsetting or inappropriate. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, like her conversation at the bar with her friends, Mm -hmm. it was just like she was just very open about it and very as a matter of fact about it. And it was like I feel like that informed us a lot about her as a character 
I guess I just, I enjoy how this movie allows us to get to know her because we never, we never see her not dealing with this tragedy, right? We don't meet her before this. Honestly, I will Other say, than like in the video. Yeah. Video. And, and I was, I'm going to say, like, I think I said this when we were watching it, that she does, what were the two things I said? She does like sad and drunk really well or something sad and something else. Just her performance in general was just awesome. But what I didn't like, honestly, was when she was happy. When she was in that videotape and she you, you could really only hear her voice, but she was like messing around with Owen as he was building stuff. I was like, this is not the Beth I know and love. Like, I don't know. I think she just, she really, really mastered being like grieving throughout all of this and really yeah. feeling everything. There's a storytelling technique where it's like come in to a scene or a story as late as possible and get out as early as possible, right? And the fact that this didn't begin, you know, with them happy and all that, and then yeah. we watch him die, where it's like, yep. yes, that we kind of see it happen in flashbacks and hear about it, but it's like the moment that we start the film, it's already happened. Like this, this bomb's already been dropped on her, and you're, we're just sort of seeing the aftermath. I don't know. It's watching people like obviously it's like fictional, like it's not, <laughs> I, but like watching people grieve in this way is yeah. very interesting. It feels like cathartic. And the actor really gets to show off their chops because, like, that's a, a heavy place to go, you know, to be able to play that authentically. I think you made me think of a good point of, like, I assume that she was coming home from the funeral in that beginning scene. Because I think both her and her friend were in black. And I think we were supposed to get the vibe that I they were that, coming yeah. back from that. That's, that was sure. the vibe that I got. And I think starting there, I'm not sure, but I feel like I probably would have had a problem in any other movie if they didn't do it this well. Where, like, we didn't get to fall in love with Owen. We didn't really know Owen very well. So why do we feel so bad about his loss and i feel like it's rebecca hall's performance like we yeah. grieved with her she she did such a good job in making us feel you know as sad as she did for the loss of her husband that we really understood that you know this was a huge loss all of these nightmarish things that are happening to her are like preying on that grief mm -hmm. where it's like she's getting text messages from downstairs like yes like oh from him and, and getting a phone call and she can hear his voice and it's like there's but, almost like hope there like every single time she's like who is this and and you can almost see her almost wanting it to be him and she even calls out several times in the movie when she's kind of being haunted like show yours or i don't know if she says show yourself but it's like like I'm right here. You called. I answered. Like, yeah, yeah. Because like, there's there's this familiarity. I love that throughout most of the movie. Once she kind of understands, or at least thinks she understands what's happening, she becomes more brazen about it because she truly believes that she is dealing with Owen. Owen yeah, and for this entity to be like, no, I'm not Owen. I remember when that was happening, I was like reaching for the blanket, like covering my eyes because you're, you're like, oh, look. And I'm like, no, it's about like, to happen. No, like, it's a really beautiful he's scene. He's about to say, no, it's not Owen. Because like now we realize that like that was her finally like getting that moment that she yeah. was having the whole movie of yeah. like really missing him and, and wanting him to be there. And she finally got that only for it to like completely uh, take a 180. And I think that's both beautiful heartbreaking and really good storytelling like i think yeah. that was just that's my favorite scene in the movie is when she was like in the bathroom by the mirror i just just it was just perfect i really enjoy that part all the way to like out on the boat because the parts where through the reflections and things mm -hmm. she's seeing owen have to kill these other women yeah it's not played through flashbacks we're not like hearing this expository Torally, is that a word? I don't know. We're not hearing this through exposition. Mm -hmm. We're seeing this in such an interesting way. And I don't know if that's like a feather in the screenwriter's cap or a feather in the director's cap, but like somebody should get a hell of a lot of credit for that. I don't know. I just really appreciate like the theme of reflection in this movie, whether it be like the reflected house across the lake or these women that look, <laughs> we were talking about it. It's <laughs> Jordan was like, hey, they're just brunettes. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like Rebecca Hall is very unique in her features. I feel like brunette is about as close as you could get to someone who is like as uniquely beautiful as Rebecca Hall. I get that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I understand that. But, but like, I, I totally... <laughs> <laughs> it is funny like when you line them all up it's just they're all have, they all have brown hair the only thing in common is that they're just like, like long white, brown hair yeah white people with long brown hair yeah. but i like 
I think from a movie making standpoint, if they were trying to make her make these people like look just like her, I feel like there could have been some makeup artists to do that. But in reality, to have, you know, that many people, however many women they showed in this movie to look very similar to her is not very realistic to have that many people in one area. Like, I don't know how to remedy that. Like, there's no well, there's no answer to that. She kind of made it seem as if, like, at least that library place wasn't super close because when the mistress or whatever, the one that actually was still alive, mm-hmm. came in and she was like, he invited me here. It was supposed to be like a day trip. So it was like, mm-hmm. maybe seemed to be a little bit farther away from where she was. Maybe he did So he research. seemed like he was like scouring, <laughs> you know, a pretty wide area looking for, man, what a sweet concept. I mean, I know that it's like super dark and he ended up having to like murder these women, but like for him to do all of that to avoid having to kill his wife. Yeah. It's oh, awesome. That's really sweet. Yeah. <laughs> as soon as, and I feel like even in the, in the first watch, I was like, I felt like, I feel like I knew that something was up, that maybe he wasn't completely guilty, that there was more to the story. But once I found out that this entity was like specifically coming after her from her near death experience or her already like she had yeah, her she, died. she died for like four minutes yeah the fact that like that's how the story flipped i was like oh that's really genius like the, just the story was incredible as well and yeah. it makes me really eager to see some more david bruckner stuff i am so thrilled it made me want to rewatch the ritual again because i just i fucking yeah. love that movie too the ritual's terrifying i love that movie there was we, we paused this movie many times to do many things during <laughs> this like we were showing each other videos and like cl- clicking over to other things but at one point i did look up and see that the people who wrote this can't remember their names is two guys who wrote the night house who wrote the night house wrote hellraiser so that's cool. So like David Bruckner works is is working with them again, and I have a lot of faith in Hellraiser, especially after that dope ass trailer. My God, I think we talked about that the trailer had come out well, in take one, and we hadn't watched it yet, but we have since watched it. I, I don't know if it was in this take one or one of the other take ones. <laughs> Something we've we've recorded several episodes lately, so I don't yeah. I don't remember. But at some point, we talked about the trailer. And I just, yes, it I, was killer. Oh my God. I am just so excited. I can't, I just love it so yeah. much. David Bruckner is awesome. And I will say that this movie also got me excited for, is it Midnight Club? It it felt very Flanagan to me. Like I think yeah. it, it might've just been the fact that it was a boat on like a lake or something. Yeah, but the, like, the red moon. Yeah. I kept <laughs> thinking about um, Mike Flanagan and it, it got me excited for that. It made me want to watch both Gerald's game and the newest one, Midnight Mass. That, oh my God, just such such incredible horror thriller creations yeah. and stories. And I'm just, I feel so blessed and I just want to see more from these men. I don't remember when we were talking about this last, but the more I think about it, I think Midnight Mass might be like my favorite yeah. mini series of all time. Like Mike Flanagan, David Bruckner, who else were we talking about? Like, I feel like Jordan Peele was in the mix at some point. Like, oh, um, Dan Trachtenberg. Oh, yes. Yeah. These are directors that like are just not missing. They're just killing it. And I just love the fact that they're doing like genre stuff and it's just really fucking good. Like every time. Okay, so like there is one thing I do want to bring up about Nighthouse that's just clicking in my head. Uh oh. So anyway, it's not like a a bad point. It's just something that like this doesn't really sit well with me. The idea of like there being like straight up nothingness after death, like not the idea oh of God. just not knowing or not remembering, but like feeling like she she felt like she was like trapped in nothingness. That is like terrifying. Like I don't believe that, but. It's still like a really terrifying idea to portray. And I think that like there's something about religious or uh, horror related to the afterlife that is extra terrifying, but also very upsetting Mm -hmm. to me. I honestly have felt that way a lot about Midnight Mass. There's nothing wrong with it. It sticks with me extra, I guess. This and you know this about me, but like this is a huge trigger for me. Like this is panic attack material like very frequently for me is thinking about you know what comes after death and when she was having the discussion about you know 
whether or not there is nothing in the afterlife like i think she said something like there is no light at the end of the tunnel it's just tunnel or something Mm -hmm. like that like that sends shivers through my body and i love that they played with that i love that they kind of made that idea into like a tangible entity and kind of made like the whole nothing is after you or yeah like the way that they played on that and the way that they incorporated that into the story and made it like its own character as well as like the conflict in general, I think is just, it's genius. I think it's like horrifying. Yes. At the same time. And it really did like trigger me, but I think it really was an incredible way to portray that particular fear. And yeah, absolutely. Genius. Okay. I feel like I'm decently smart, right? Okay. I feel like I'm like, you would say I'm like a pretty smart person. No. Okay. Well, (laughs) my my mom told me once that I was, (laughs) Why would you ask me that question? Well, you know, okay, because like, I'm a, not going to answer seriously. I have a point. <laughs> but I also will say that in movies, I don't go in trying to dissect them immediately and try to figure out what's going to happen. I like to be surprised. I like to watch movies the first time passively. Mm-hmm. That's like one of the biggest reasons why we go back and visit movies on this podcast so often. Like, it's very rarely, like, the first time Mm -hmm. that we've seen a movie, you know? All that to say, I probably should have, and I'm sure there are lots of you that that did, but I did not see Nothing Is After You coming. Like, I did not see the double entendre of that coming at all. I was like, oh, that's a weird... Suicide note. Okay, <laughs> moving on. And like it makes so much sense now. And yeah. now it almost feels like you ever like have a twist revealed and then you're like, how the fuck did I not see that coming? <laughs> like, are you kidding me? That's how I felt this time where I'm like, oh, Nick, why didn't you realize that? Like it straight up says like nothing is after you. You're right. There is nothing. Mm-hmm. And like she says there's nothing. Like, I, I don't know. I, I it's really great storytelling. I yeah. Think. It's just, it really is. Uh, something that you reminded me of just now, though, is uh, I think this is something to explore in take three is that he said, You are safe now, as if he thought that killing himself would save her. I think what Owen at least thought, and this very well could be the logic that we are supposed to follow, that would help me at least be able to move on from the what's going to happen next issue that in my head i think owen believed that this entity was using him to try to hurt her and if he took himself off the table the entity uh, wouldn't have their it would final chess piece yeah 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 but like the, great point. The, the fact that the entity like that he didn't think that the entity could just go into anybody i don't i don't know <laughs> It's still a sweet gesture. I yeah, guess. I mean, again, <laughs> really sweet to have murdered all those ladies and built a house across the <laughs> across the the way there. When chivalry she's... isn't dead, well, it is now, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, when when she asks or she says something like, you know, where is he now? And he's like, he's gone. But you already knew that. Yeah. Ugh. God, terrifying. terrifying. This is just one of those movies that, like, it's more uplifting in a way and less disturbing than something like hereditary Mm -hmm. but still punches you in the face pretty hard like hereditary does hereditary like i I don't know why but it's just like another really dark and scary and disturbing movie hereditary is not playing on like a very very big fear of mine you know what i mean (laughs) speaking of hereditary ari aster's another badass bitch (laughs) fucking love him yeah i i just Go David Bruckner. It's just so good. It's so good. Uh, I'm I'm glad that I chose this film. Yeah, me too. I am very glad that you chose this film. I did well. such a good job. Although I did blame you the whole time. Yeah. Like, why did you pick this scary-ass movie? I'm not even sure it was during a scary part. It might have still been in the beginning a little bit. You're like, why did you pick this movie? I was like, I did not I pick this movie. I knew it was going to get scary, and I didn't want it to. Like, I, <laughs> I love horror movies so much. There are some of them, though, that I, I still, man, I still am a little bitch about there are some scary movies like if, what are scary movies that you've watched with me that i'm like 
That's I'm, so. I was just about to ask you, like, what is the scariest movie you've ever seen? Not your favorite scary movie, oh, but the yeah. scariest movie that you've ever seen. So my favorite scary movie is Halloween. I, that's such an easy question. Yeah. Like, you have tons of favorite scary movies, but what is the movie that has scared you the most? Are you able to Mothman. answer that question? Mothman oh, prophecies. Yeah, good. We good watched point. that. We watched that in a. Okay, have you guys? If you guys have not seen Mothman prophecies and you can handle it, <laughs> watch it. But. Just know that we watched it. I, I rewatched it, but I showed it to you yeah. in a motel room at nighttime. And then we had to go to sleep. And I was like... I feel like that was your choice, too. I know, but it was... <laughs> I don't know why I do this shit to myself, but that was... Oh, I can't... Okay, the worst thing about the Mothman prophecies is that voice. There's like voices like laying on top of each other. And the voice in this movie... Also fucking terrifying. I don't like voices. I don't like people with scary voices. You know what? Uh, also, we're talking about voices now. The uh, I've seen the witch with the goat speaking. Like people use that as a TikTok What's that audio. like to live deliciously? Yeah. yeah. Would you like to something like taste butter or something like that? But the way that they edited that voice, that is one of the scariest voices I've ever heard too. Is that fucking goat? Black Philip, man. Black fucking Philip. Like, oh, we didn't great just job. spoil the movie for you guys. <laughs> That's a terrifying movie as well. Isn't Laura Linney in? The Mothman? She's like the cop, isn't she? Oh my god, if Laura Linney's in Mothman, I don't know. I try to block that movie. I try not to think about it. I am it. almost positive that Laura Linney is the cop in Mothman. Like, I love Laura Linney so much. Me but too. I, I, I totally believe you. If, if I have to rewatch in... that now. Fuck that. I'll have to rewatch it. Anyway, yeah, by um, yourself. Nighthouse is great. Uh, Laura Linney is great. Laura Linney is fantastic. Um, oh, I finished Ozark. Yeah, thoughts? It was good. Yeah, right. I really I liked agree. it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I think the ending made sense with what the overall message of the show was. And I think it, the message of the show was that, Don't like, launder money. No, it's like, <laughs> if you're going to launder money, just be really good at it and you'll be fine. <laughs> like, if you're willing to destroy everything around you to forge that path forward for you... Commit. Yeah, do it. You know who had that ideology or philosophy? Who? Wendy Bird. You know who didn't? Marty Bird. And Wendy Bird... AKA Laura Linney just slaughtered that role and she is one of the best actresses in the whole world. Take three. So I went to the peanut festival, which is like a festival for peanuts. I don't know. It's something to do uh, around where I live. And I went there with uh, some family. It, I mean, it's really like geared towards kids. There's a bunch of kiddie rides and stuff like that. And I quickly realized there's nothing for a uh, person of my age to really do other than drink. And I was the designated driver. <laughs> so it wasn't like the greatest time. But regardless, there were people skydiving all day and landing in the field. Of peanuts? <laughs> no, I don't, I don't think that there were actual peanuts in that field. I think it was just sort of like a an empty field for them to grow. But I would imagine peanuts are grown close. Do they grow peanuts? I feel so stupid. Like, peanuts don't grow like like they do like when you eat them in the shells, right? I know they grow them. I don't know if they're like potatoes where they're underground or if they come up like a plant. I, I don't know the specifics, but you went to the festival. How do you not know? They don't have a class. Well, that's a bummer. They should have. Or a diagram or a cardboard cutout or something. Anyway, Continue with your story. I'm sorry for interrupting. No, it's okay. There were a bunch of people skydiving, and it really felt like, if, for those of you who have seen it, like the beginning of the Power Rangers movie where they all have, like, there's, like, 15 people, like, up in the air at once. I was taking pictures of it, but they're all, like, little specks. But they were all coming down, and it was consistently happening throughout the time I was there. At one point, we saw that they were blowing up two hot air balloons to raise up into Ooh. the air, not to free fly, but to give people, I guess, the experience of flying. I don't know how far off the ground it was, but it was strapped to the ground still, if that makes sense. Like, I, if they took off and left their tether to the ground, I wasn't there for it. <laughs> I bring up all of that to ask this question of you. I said to the people I was with, I would love to go in a hot air balloon like that. Like, I feel like that's the only way I could be in a hot air balloon if it was tethered to the ground. I feel like that's high enough for me, right? Mm -hmm. And a couple people were like, oh, I would totally rather skydive than go in a hot air balloon. And that is my question for you. Would you rather skydive or go in a hot air balloon? Like, gun to your head, you have to do one because I'm pretty sure if I had the, the option to pick one or the other, I'd probably 
wind up doing neither, but um, like non-tethered, like full-on hot air balloon up in the sky high or jumping out of a plane. Gun to my head? Yeah. Shoot me. <laughs> no. Um, this is really interesting because I think growing up and learning about hot air balloons and like the science behind them and everything, they are very much a childlike image. Like they seem so innocent, I guess. They seem so harmless. And it was very recently, like within the last year or two that I realized that like my fear of heights, like they are not as innocent as they seem. Like I really don't love the idea of being up that high without seatbelts just in a basket like that's that does not sound fun to me whatsoever and i think i too would prefer it to be tethered but given the choice between the two of them honestly probably skydiving really because i feel like that's quicker i feel like a hot air balloon is an adventure and if things go wrong i don't know of any safety features that i could employ but skydiving you jump, you sh- do the sh- parachute, and then it's over. Like, that would be the quicker experience. I feel like I'd probably want to do that one than do a hot air balloon. That makes total sense. And I, I think that with you talking about that, like, the first image of a hot air balloon that I remember is, like, the Meowth hot air balloon in the Pokemon show. Uh, <laughs> and it would always pop, and they would go zoom, 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 zoom. Like, they would fly away. And yeah. It, and they always made it, and they never died. I don't know. I'm going back and forth because I would love to be able to get something like that over with quickly. Yeah. Anyway, Nighthouse. The Nighthouse. <laughs> we did research. Yep. And I have lots of interesting things to tell you. I have lots of interesting things, too. I don't have a lot this time. I feel like there were not many discussions about themes. I feel like the themes in this were pretty clear cut. There were not many like conspiracy theories. And there were a couple interviews with the director, but A, they were like two hours long. And B, this movie came out like during COVID. So all of the interviews were still over webcam. They were really poor quality. And I was just like, I'm not sitting through eight hours of interviews for this. But I will link some of them if you want to watch them yourself. Uh, (laughs) But I do have a lot of really interesting things to talk about. But first, I want to hear some numbers if you would be so kind. Okay. Yeah, sure. So first off, this movie opened on August 21st, 2020. It opened wide at that point, and it didn't do spectacularly, but a lot of movies at that point weren't doing that great. So it grows 7 million at the domestic box office, 8 at the international, which is 15 million. So not great when you consider that Searchlight bought the film at Sundance the previous year for $12 million. So they didn't really get their investment back, at least not yet. I mean, I'm sure it's done good on streaming and things like that. And it's nice that it has, you know, nice reviews. It has an 87% on Rotten Tomatoes. Critic score, it's certified fresh. Nice. It has a 69% audience score, which I can imagine probably has something to do with the ending being sort of divisive. The critics' consensus is led by Rebecca Hall's gripping central performance, The Night House, offers atmospheric horror that engages intellectually as well as emotionally. I agree completely. This is definitely one of those movies that we can put in the highbrow horror, elevated horror category. I will say that um, this is a rare occurrence, but I know we talk frequently about how researching movies tends to make us appreciate the movies more. I think this time, unfortunately, I might have had a little bit of the opposite effect. As the twists and as things were revealed, some of the intentions and decisions that the characters made, uh, a lot of people had like questions about. And those questions were sort of like, they did kind of tear down the illusion a little bit. So I think I kind of hopped off the high of that movie temporarily. But all this to say that I think you brought up Rebecca Hall's performance. And while I don't think it's a perfect movie, I will watch it anytime because of her. I I really do think that this was her movie through and through. uh, And she deserves every ounce of uh, recognition for that. She just killed it. I think she just did such a phenomenal job with this role. She definitely did. As far as box office goes, the only other thing I had to mention is that, um, 
I thought was this was kind of funny. It opened wide the same day that Paw Patrol, the movie, opened wide. And while this movie made like $2 million this opening weekend, Paw Patrol, I believe, made 13 And um, shit. this movie went on to make $15.5 million worldwide. And Paw Patrol made $134.8 million worldwide. Oh, my so God. So, I, I, you know, I mean, I don't know if this was just like if it shows that you know, last summer families needed something to do. There was not a lot opening. I mean, really, I was looking at the other movies at the box office and like I had never heard of any of them. So like there was really not a lot out. So I think maybe kids were just yeah. clamoring for something end of summer. Like, but we did see this in theaters, didn't we? Yeah. Maybe not together, but I. F- no, no, no. I remember I saw it by myself. Oh, right, right, right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. I feel like was that the first one back from COVID that we saw? No, the first movie I saw back from COVID was Spiral. I went and saw Spiral with a face mask, then also like a plastic visor over my eyes and shit. Oh, like the shield yeah. thing? Yeah. I'll have um, to look up. That. I, that, I feel like this one might actually be the first one back. I'll have to check my letterbox. But with COVID, there were like ebbs and flows. So it's like in August, I don't know. I mean, I feel like we were starting to realize it's about to get bad again. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I just thought that was funny that Paw Patrol opened so much bigger than it and went and did so much more. I mean, this is obviously a less accessible movie than something like Paw Patrol. Do we need to do Paw um, Patrol? Yeah, I think we. I think our next episode should be Paw Patrol. <laughs> that was a really great idea. I've not seen an episode of Paw Patrol, but I feel like you have. Oh yeah, I feel like you watch it with Briley, right? Briley used to like it. She's out of it now. Mm. I was like, this is really interesting. I learned all the dogs' names. It was really <laughs> cool. What's funny now is that she actually was one of the people I went to the peanut festival with. And before we went, we were watching Garfield. There was a there's a Garfield TV show on Netflix. And we sat there and we watched two episodes together. And I was riveted. <laughs> I was like, I mean, it wasn't like incredible, but I was like, wow, I don't want to kill myself right now. Oh, my God. I was like, damn, Riley. Is this different from the Bill Murray one like it's not this is like a badly animated cartoon on netflix nice no yeah i asked her i was like have you seen the uh the live action ones like the actual movies and she's like no is there glad she didn't even know that there was and i wanted to be like yeah with bill murray like the seven-year-old knows who bill murray is (laughs) too funny oh uh also barley just one little thing she did tell me okay so she's either going as sarah from hocus pocus for Halloween, or she told me today that she might be going as Stitch, which made my heart Aww. sing because I love Stitch. Her birthday was Stitch themed, and so I'm she glad, has like a Stitch costume, so it makes me happy. I'm glad that Stitch still exists for this new generation. It blows me away because like there's not been a new movie in a while. Yeah, the TV shows not run i mean it's all available on disney plus but like the live action film that they were making hasn't come out yet or anything so like Mm -hmm. that was when i expected there to be a sort of renaissance of stitch but i don't know i guess she was just flipping through disney plus i i I truly don't know how this seven-year-old has fallen so in love with lilo and stitch it just proves that lilo and stitch stands the test of time incredible chef's kiss perfect for sure yeah. Okay, we're doing Lilo and Stitch right now instead of... <laughs> God, so Paw Patrol... I've completely forgotten the name of this movie. It's now Lilo and Stitch. <laughs> we gotta do Paw Patrol and Lilo and Stitch. Those are next on the docket. Fuck yes. So the research that I have is kind of long. It's all kind of like connected, so I can't really break mine up. So if you want to continue with your research, feel free. Okay, that's cool. So in take... Two, I believe I talked a little bit about how the characters were going to proceed in their lives beyond this film. Mm-hmm. How is that going to work? I was looking up other people's thoughts on this and a guy named Matt Goldberg, who's a writer at Collider that I really like. He wrote this article and I want to quote a little section of it because I thought it really kind of helped me realize it's not that important. It says, it's important not to get too bogged down in the how of Nighthouse. Yes, there are rules here that the film is attempted to create, but it's not really a supernatural horror. Rather, Nighthouse is a psychological horror. The nothingness that pursues Beth could easily stand in for depression and trauma, and that's why the final shot is so important. You can see the silhouette of the nothingness on the water, and it's a reminder that this darkness will never be completely gone. 
it's something that Beth will have to be conscious of and fight off for the rest of her life, which is very real Mm -hmm. for people that wrestle with depression and trauma. We like to think that one can be cured of these things, but in reality, it's an ongoing battle. And I'm like, okay, that's enough for me. I'm like, the the fact that in in itself is like an allegory for uh, a consistent battle with depression and anxiety and that kind of thing. Makes perfect sense. It definitely like hits home with me because I feel like I've been dealing with those things for a very long time. I'm probably going to be dealing with them, you know what I mean, throughout my life. I mean, a ton of people are. So it's like, it makes complete sense to me now. So the ending of the movie, like I'm not worried about now anymore. Well, good. And I wanted to just talk a little bit about, you know, how I like to see how the filmmakers have worked together in the past and that kind of stuff. And I, I did bring up that the writers of this movie were Hellraiser and I did not call them by name. And I should have Ben Collins and Luke Piotrowski. 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 Mm-hmm. So um, they are very good writers. I won't tell you how I feel about Hellraiser because now we've seen Hellraiser. Now oh this episode is, we've been recording this episode for so long, but they're good writers. I'm just going to say that. <laughs> uh, so basically another collaboration that these two made with David Brockner was actually the first movie that these two ever wrote. And so they adapted slash spun off Amateur Night, which is David Bruckner's segment in VHS. Ooh. And VHS is that movie where there's like a bunch of different... It's like the um, anthology thing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a bunch of different stories. I had no idea. So they're all found footage. A lot of my research is about uh, Piotrowski and the other writer. I forget his name. I'm sorry. Ben Collins. Yeah. I did not realize that they had written that as well. I need to get yeah. on watching that. Oh, it's been too long. I've waited uh, too long yeah. to watch it. So, so that movie is called Siren. David Bruckner uh, didn't direct it, but he did produce it. Okay. That movie does not look like, and I've only seen like pictures from it so far, I, it does not look like it's found footage. The VHS Amateur Night segment I have seen, and I don't know that you will like it. But I do think you should watch it. Well, I know that you. I've... I've heard from other people and you that like the surrounding stories in the VHS collection itself were not good, but his was. Would I still not like his, do you think? Okay, so if I said that, I meant to say Southbound. Southbound, his section in Southbound, which is called The Accident, is really good. But isn't isn't Southbound also like an anthology where it's a bunch of stories? And that's not found footage. That's like actual movies so basically he's done three segments in three different anthology films and then directed three regular films that's, and that's so it. confusing but okay I'm, I'm with you though i'm with you so vhs southbound and then a movie called the signal right okay he directed parts of and then ritual hellraiser in this movie i'm so on board with his full movies like i i really need to get on watching his shorter stuff but yeah totally and you will like the accident i don't know that you will like amateur night because it is about a bunch of straight guys partying. Mm. I mean, you might like the way it ends, but... I mean, are they, like, shirtless? <laughs> They're attractive. Do they fuck? I, I'm not going to tell you. I'm not telling you. <laughs> Do they? That was a joke. But... No! <laughs> yeah, then I don't care. Okay. <laughs> Another collaborator that moved on to Hellraiser is this film's editor, Ooh. David Marks, who I, I love that because I love... Editing, editing's like my my passion. I like it when a director works with the same editor consistently. So I hope that David Bruckner has found his, his team. Yeah, his editor in David Marks yeah. for sure. And also, uh, you might think this is pretty cool. Ben Lovett, uh, the film's composer, scored both The Ritual and Hellraiser. Ooh. And they've worked together since 2007 because he also scored the signal, which was the the first feature that David Bruckner ever directed a segment of. Nice, that's neat. I like yeah. that. Oh, good. I'm glad. So, so as I said before, I kind of researched one segment of this movie that kind of led into this labyrinth of brand new information. So, uh, the information is going to shift a little bit, but just bear with me. Um, I started this research looking into the sort of occult slash voodoo stuff that Owen was uh, discussing and trying out with, uh, you know, trying to trap the the nothing. And the first thing that came up was the uh, Cardroia, which is C-A-E-R-D-R-O-I-A, that book that he was looking through. Uh, it turns out it is a real thing. It is a Welsh turf maze. They were used like for ritual dances. Like they are, they're like these 
You can look them up online. They're like, they literally look like labyrinths. They're like mazes and stuff. I don't think that they were actually meant to trap evil spirits. I think that was sort of a creative fictional element that they decided to tie in, but they are a real thing. That's really cool. This next part is insane to me. You know, the pin doll, the doll that is like bound by like the little statue in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's based off of a real voodoo doll. It was uncovered in Egypt and it's called the Louvre doll. It is a fourth century clay figure that is impaled 13 times with bronze needles all over its body. And I think I read somewhere that the pins are, they were strategically placed in like all of the orifices, like the eyes, the ears, the nose, the mouth, and the other holes. Oh my God. It was discovered within a terracotta vase alongside a lead curse tablet engraved with a binding spell. And an article somewhere said a type of curse in which usually someone has asked the gods to do harm to another. The figure with its hands bound behind its back represents the intended target. And it is called the Louvre doll because that's where it currently resides. It is currently at the Louvre. So. Fuck. Why do they have like cursed items at the Louvre? I don't know. I don't know. And it's weird though because I even tried – they made it seem like it was a an object that like was common or that was made frequently. But I only found – like if you Google the Louvre doll, you just get this clay figure and it looks the same. Like – it doesn't look the same as they did in the movie. The movie, I think they recreated to be more stylistic a little bit, mm-hmm. but I can't, I only found one doll. Uh, so I don't know if they did find more. I don't know if this thing was just like a common thing. That's it, it, kind of what it seemed like, but I couldn't find any other images other than the one that's in the Louvre. So that's funny. Cause like the more I think about that doll, the more I think it actually feels like it fits better in Hellraiser. <laughs> Oh my God, I'm so glad you said that because things are about to get fucking crazy right now. As you all know, as we said previously, that David Bruckner just picked up a revival of Hellraiser. It's not really a sequel. It's sort of like its own independent thing, but it's very heavily based on the original Hellraiser. In order to discuss this next section, I'm going to give you a basic summary I know you have watched it already, but to the, the viewers that have not seen the very first original, I, was it 1986, 89? 87. Yeah, 87. This is the original Hellraiser. I mean, it, it's not really spoilers. It's more of like a summary. I'm not going to tell you how it ends, but I need to point out some specifics so that we can you know, continue with this discussion. But basically, there's a man named Frank. He finds a puzzle box. He solves it and is immediately ripped to shreds by chains and hooks. In his own home. Frank has a brother. His brother's name is Larry. And Larry has a wife named Julia. And Julia has a daughter named Christy. They all move into this house that Frank was ripped apart in uh, a couple years later. Larry, in the move, cuts his hand and sheds some blood on the floor, which resurrects Frank a little bit. Not fully, but he turns into this like... A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It's like this ghoulish figure. Uh, But this is unbeknownst to Larry. Larry doesn't know this yet. Also unbeknownst to Larry is that Julia had an affair with Frank a long time ago. So they're they're like lovers. Julia finds this a little resurrected body (laughs) and learns that blood will help him like fully gain his full form back. So she's still in love with this guy and she's like, I'm going to help you get your body back. So she goes out and finds random men to then kill in her home. Does that sound familiar? Oh my God. Right? It gets better. So I read this article. Uh, someone was interviewing Piotrowski and talking about like how the night house was kind of constructed and, and made. The article basically talked about how before the night house, they were really fighting to do a remake of Hellraiser. It was something that they had a lot of ideas for and they were really trying to sell it, but they couldn't. They couldn't like get it made. What I got from this article was that they that night house was sort of born trying to piece together and pull together different elements of this scrapped Hellraiser movie. And yeah, Piotrowski said, we gave ourselves the task of finding if you could retell that story with Julia 
as a sympathetic figure who is drawn to this occult world through the grief of having lost her lover. And to bring him back, she starts engaging with these dark things and goes to these dark places through grief until it's this black swan style beautiful story about that character. Sound familiar? Jesus Christ. They didn't want to hear Black Swan. They didn't want to hear Art House Dreamy or Beautiful for Hellraiser at that time. We took a lot of that idea. We still wanted to tell a story about grief that has beautiful haunting imagery. We still wanted to tell a story about someone who's going to dark places and finding secrets that someone left behind. In some of the most basic broad strokes, a lot of the genesis of the Nighthouse did come from us not being able to do Hellraiser. Insane, right? Crazy. That's awesome. I'm so glad <laughs> that they couldn't do Hellraiser at first. It gets better. So they originally pitched this idea of a Hellraiser movie to producer Keith Levine. Levine? Do you recognize that name at all? I recognize it. I do not know how to pronounce it, though. No worries, no worries. He used to work for Dimension, and he was ultimately the one who was telling them, like, we really don't have room for this, like, this dreamy kind of artistic Hellraiser that you want to do. Uh, so he was the one who was constantly turning them down. But then Keith started working for David Goyer, who produced The Night House. And Petrowski cornered Keith on the set of The Night House and was like, hey, just hear us out. We just like, let us pitch you for a second. And he said, quote, I'm pretty sure I told him that we would never talk to them again if they didn't at least let us meet on it. I was joking, but we also wanted to at least put our names on the list, try to get in there. And it worked out really well. So he basically cornered the guy who was telling him no and was like, just please hear us out. And like on the set of Nighthouse, And that is how we got this new Hellraiser movie that just came out, what, fucking last weekend, this weekend? That's awesome. Insane. And I was like, I, like, the fact that this all worked out so beautifully that the Nighthouse is basically a Frankenstein Hellraiser in itself is just so insanely beautiful to me. It is, <laughs> it is just, it just worked out so perfectly. And I love that that is all like, a part of this movie and it makes me so happy for david bruckner and it makes me so excited to see what else he can make like you said we just saw hellraiser this weekend and i fucking loved it i thought it was incredible and it was just really interesting yeah. how all of this tied together so that is really cool yeah that's that's really cool i don't know if i just missed it in all of the things that you said but i do know that david escoyer he has a story credit in hellraiser really as well yeah nice Nice. Yeah, so Dave, I don't know if you like know who David S. Goyer is, but he has a story credit on Dark Knight and Dark Knight Rises as well. Oh, really? Uh, and he wrote like Man of Steel and uh, Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice, which I know aren't movies that you hold in high regard, but <laughs> those are movies that he's done. So Nice. So yeah, that, that was sort of my big uh, discovery for this. I did want to mention, I did have one tiny little last thing. I did look into sort of behind the scenes of how they were able to construct the optical illusions where you could kind of see the figure of the man in, yeah. in the negative space. I will link all of these threads in the description box so you can check them out there yourself. But there's a Twitter thread of images and videos of them constructing the different lighting setups and the different shadows to make, you know, the hallways look like a face and that figure that she saw in the beginning in the door. And it's really funny because it's all essentially foam. They cut and like taped together these really arts and craftsy, really kind of like, it doesn't look professional at all, but they just cut a bunch of foam and sort of, set them in places that were dark so you, so it would make a silhouette in the negative space. It's really, really cool. It's nothing that That's I can really awesome. get into because you need to see it for yourself, but I will link that in the description. Cool, good deal. It's very cool, yeah. So definitely check it out if you get a chance. Fucking David Bruckner. It's just a David Bruckner weekend, and I, I cannot wait to see what else he can come up with. I know that for a while, the horror was just seen as a way to sort of start your career because you can make the films for cheap and um, show, you know, your talent. And it was seen as a bad thing to sort of get like stuck in horror. Like I remember Wes Craven, there were times where he felt it's not typecasted, but like, you know what I mean? Like he was like stuck in the horror genre. Yeah. People didn't want to see a Wes Craven love story or things like that. 
well, I know that some of these directors probably want to do other things. And I know that it's selfish of me to wish that they only ever do horror for the rest <laughs> of their lives. But I'm selfish, I guess, because that's exactly what I want David Bruckner to do yeah. forever. And Mike Flanagan and Jordan Peele and Ari Aster and Robert Eggers and uh, Radio Silence and just everybody. Ben Collins and Luke Piotrowski, like yeah. just all of these people that we've brought up in this episode. I looked back at my my review of the first Hellraiser, I think, which I still love. I, that movie is fucking incredible. Yes, that movie is amazing. It's so good. It's still good. Yeah. Um, in my review, I put something like, I would kill for a Muschietti remake of this. Like, could you imagine with how good he is with designing yeah. characters? Like, Pennywise is fucking incredible. Can you imagine the, the Cenobites that Andy Muschietti could come up with? I think... That would just be insane. That would be awesome. But just just that to add another awesome. name to the list of uh, of directors that you put in there, like I, I think he deserves to be on there as well. Yeah, absolutely. I do know that uh, HBO Max, I believe, or at least HBO is developing a Hellraiser television show. Shut up, really? Yeah. Why didn't you tell and me this? <laughs> it didn't really make sense to bring it up during this, but um, True. Uh, a filmmaker that is working on it is Michael Dougherty. And you know what Michael Dougherty did? No. The name sounds familiar. I should know it. He directed Trick or Treat. Oh, yeah, nice. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah. That's very exciting. Yeah, I think it's going to be cool. So be sure to listen to our Hellraiser review once you've watched that movie as well, because that movie is fucking boss. Yeah. And David Bruckner is fucking boss. And Jordan, you are fucking boss. Oh, thank you. Just want to let you know. Ditto. Right back at you, kid. That's the nicest thing you've ever said to me. <laughs> Hey listeners, thanks for tuning in. I hope you're having a wonderful spooky season, because we certainly are. If you want to hear more, visit us at take3amp.com. We are also on all the major podcast apps, as you probably already know. If you want to follow us on Instagram, we are at take3amp. And if you want to email us for any reason at all, or just to say hi, we are at take3amp at gmail.com. Tune in next week for something. I don't really know what we got planned, but it's probably something scary. Um, We'll see you then. Thanks for listening.